Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at mfgtalkradio.com, talking live with the best and brightest in manufacturing. And today we're with three people that we would like to introduce to you, and then we will come back to them in a moment. And then I will break off with Lou. But we're talking with Ryan Hollowell, who's the Senior International Trade Specialist at the U.S. Department of Commerce. Katie Carney, who is the Director of International and Customs Compliance with Livingston International, and Christopher Almonte, who is the Manager of International Sales for Spectra Colors Corporation, will be talking about exporting today, really with two goals in mind. The first is to helping to convince listeners that it's easier than you might think, and number two, it creates a new revenue stream for your company. And to my co-host, Lou, how are you today? I'm doing terrific. Thanks, Tim. You're hanging in there with your cold. I am. I am. It's only an hour show. I'll survive. you got a great radio voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on in the news, Lou? Well, before the news, I just want to touch base with our last week's show, which was really terrific. It was part of a three-part series about 3D manufacturing, 3D printing, which is also known as advanced manufacturing. Uh, we did have the third part last week, and uh, very interesting stuff, uh, very uh, important in sh- showing our listeners about the way of the future for manufacturing. I strongly recommend that you all listen to it, and I would start with the first show, which was a primer. We had two, uh, P- uh, two PhD uh, uh, professors on the show talking about it, and uh, just Fabulous information. So that's what PD. That's what uh, 3D printing is all going to be about. Uh, that being said, uh, the news um, in our world, the news is still having to do with the LA port West Coast issues. Uh, they supposedly have reached an agreement. They haven't signed one. They haven't ratified one. They haven't voted on one. They haven't told anybody about what's in it, (laughs) and uh, they are supposedly going to resolve that sometime in April, hopefully this year. Uh, But, of course, uh, the port is still jammed up, and uh, there has been a lot of the uh, ship traffic diverted to the East Coast, and now the East Coast is uh, quite jammed, particularly uh, New York, New Jersey ports. So the problem has gotten better and worse at the same time, and hopefully things will improve uh, sometime soon. It's cost our country a lot of money and lost product, rotten fruits, rotten meats, and uh, a lot of customers unhappy with uh, the unions and unhappy with uh, shippers, uh, wrongfully so. So that said, uh, let's go on with the show. Uh, I'd like to uh, speak with Katie Carney first, who's the Director of International and Customs Compliance at Livingston International. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here, Tim. We are excited to have you on the show. And if you would please tell our listeners, what is Livingston International and what do you folks do? Livingston International, is our we are customs brokers, freight forwarders, and customs consultants. 
We are headquartered out of Toronto, Canada, and our U.S. headquarters is out of Chicago. Um, we ha represent the cargo interest on the vessels. Uh, on the import side, we will handle everything from importer security filing um, prior to vessel loading all the way through the customs transaction and any other government agency requirements uh, to uh, delivery to the distribution centers. On the export side, we do similar. Uh, we will book cargo um, either using our contracts or direct carrier contracts that the uh, exporter holds, and we will um, make sure that their cargo gets into the country of destination uh, legally and timely. Great. On the consulting sorry, side, we handle numerous different consulting projects. Yes, you do pro bono consulting, and, and did you say something about a valet program when we chatted here recently? Well, yes. Um, in the state of Virginia, the Virginia Economic Development Partnership um, has a wonderful export program um, called the valet program where they partner uh, forders with new manufacturers that might be interested in exporting. Um, and part of that, uh, being part of the valet program, we provide pro bono consulting to help these new um, shippers get on board and get their cargo uh, to the destinations they need them to go to. Now, Katie, in terms of the West Coast port situation, are your customers still experiencing pain there is pain everywhere. The <laughs> West Coast, just due to sheer volumes, but the East Coast is suffering just as bad from New York, New Jersey, all the way down through the ports of Virginia. Uh, the southern ports have not felt that crunch um, as much as we have up north, uh, but there are different factors that are um, creating uh, this this congestion issue, um, one starting with the bigger ships um, and the larger alliances to fill the ships mean higher volumes, more time to load and unload a vessel, and where a vessel could come in and uh, and discharge and load in eight hours to twenty four hours we 're now seeing vessels take five days um, to to uh, to load and unload cargo. That's painful. That's painful. Uh, Very painful. Yeah. Katie, in terms of exporting, how does Livingston International help the new exporter? And they're going to have some trepidation about, oh, boy, how do I get my product from my loading dock to the uh, customer's dock somewhere? How does Livingston International help them? Well, we'll look at their uh, of what their products are, where they're located, the volumes that they're anticipating to, to ship, and we will start with them uh, making sure that their documentation is accurate uh, and have all the uh, different um, bullet points that they need to ensure that the overseas buyer can get it into the country correctly. Uh, we will work with them on developing um, best practices for, for packaging, for shipping inland, uh, to the port, whether it's going to be less than a container load or a container load. We can make all those arrangements. We also um, can provide marine insurance, and then we will uh, assist them all the way through the booking to delivery of the documentation overseas to their uh, client. Okay, thank you.
Uh, Ryan Hollowell is up next. He's the Senior International Trade Specialist with the U.S. Department of Commerce, the Northern New Jersey U.S. Export Assistance Center. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Ryan, now I know the U.S. Department of Commerce does some wonderful things for exporters, uh, really beginning at the very early stages with an exporting primer and a lot of that uh, access to that documentation you can find at mfgtalkradio.com. If you're listening to the show today, it's a, a red line right above the players. You can see a red line of text. That's your link to all of the resources that we've put together for our listeners. Uh, Ryan, give us a, kind of an overview of what the Commerce Department does for new exporters. Sure, great. Um, thanks again for having me. Uh, uh, what, what Our role here is at the U.S. Department of Commerce, and particularly in the more than 100 export assistance centers around the country, is to work with uh, new-to-export companies, uh, generally your small, medium-sized businesses that range from anywhere to five to 500 employees. Um, and uh, they're U.S.-based manufacturers, and our goal is to help them become comfortable with the, menu, with the exporting process. This comes into everything from helping find local partners to even at the very, very beginning stages of, of developing a market strategy and really making sure that a company is export ready and they're willing to put in uh, the time and the resources that it takes to, be, to become a successful company um, in the international markets. Um, we do this through a number of ways. Uh, it really uh, can be through helping them, like I said, find a local partner through what's called our Gold Key Service. Um, and we're able to do that by working with our uh, more than uh, 100 offices in about 75 countries um, overseas. So basically wherever you have an embassy or consulate, um, you have folks on the ground in country that are part of the U.S. Department of Commerce where their role is to help exporters enter into those markets. And so it's great to start with us um, on the domestic side, and we'll liaise and we'll help develop that market strategy for companies and, and really walk them through the whole process from A to Z. And we do that by working with uh, great freight forwarding partners that can, that can really help you know, connect some of those dots that, that can seem a bit cumbersome when, when just starting out. Uh, Ryan, this is uh, Lou. Um, I understand uh, from previous conversations that not only do you do all the things that you just mentioned, but uh, as a newcomer, newcomer exporter, uh, they may have intrepidations about doing business with uh, overseas companies. So they can do things like pay, in a ca pay up front, pay in advance, uh, letters of credit, and so on. But I understand that uh, the Department of Commerce also gets involved in helping finance the new foreign customer to buy your goods here in the United States. Can you give a little explanation about that? Yeah, certainly. And uh, we, we do that a lot by working with our partners over the Export-Import Bank. Um, they have folks located here in uh, New Jersey and really around the country. Um, where the Export-Import Bank, what their role is, is is to work with U.S. companies and, and, more importantly, to work with the U.S. buyers, uh, or the foreign buyers, I should say, that are, are purchasing U.S. manufactured goods. Um, and they can offer the financing for them or really to guarantee that financing. But in addition to that, um, for U.S.-based companies where you, sometimes you have a foreign buyer that really doesn't want to go through that time or the hassle of doing a letter of credit um, for one reason or another, and they want to do, sell things on open accounts, um, groups like Export Import Bank can also help with the export credit insurance 
to help protect the U.S. manufacturer and give them a bit the ability to sell on open account terms as well. So you're basically insuring the receivables um, and, and potentially uh, making your end customer uh, very happy. Uh, Ryan, I know that our, our show sponsor, All Metals and Forge Group, does a lot of exporting, and they make exporting look simple if you're in their shop and watching what's happening. But when you know the first term of trepidation I hear you say, to make sure that you're export ready. What does export ready mean? Sure. So, so I, the the idea of being export ready is it really comes down to making sure the company um, really that, that we do a good job setting their expectations. That um, when we make a first introduction introduction for a company to a buyer, that uh, they're not expecting an immediate sale. Um, that does that sometimes happen? Yes, and we absolutely love those success stories. Um, but to really be successful in the international markets, you, you really need to have uh, the ability and the resources um, to be successful overseas, but whether it's time, um, capital, or human resources, uh, in order to really focus on selling your products overseas. Um, it's not uh, going to be an overnight um, overnight success. Uh, sometimes it will take a few months to, to secure that, that right and appropriate uh, partner and, and sometimes there might be a few bumps along the road. Uh, so our goal really is to making sure that they have their expectations set and they, they understand the commitment that it will take to be successful overseas. Okay, and I know that we have a success story uh, individual with us from uh, Spectra Colors Corporation, and that's Chris Almonte, which we introduced at the top of the show. He's the international sales manager for Spectra Colors. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Chris, so you're the guy who's been through it. You're, you've uh, actually gone from not exporting product to exporting product, and you've uh, visited a lot of countries around the world to develop uh, relationships and export your products to. Give us an idea of what Spectra Colors Corporation does and where you're currently exporting product. If you're and, and you don't have to give customer names. Don't give away the keys to the kingdom here. <laughs> I'll start with, uh, first of all, um, Spectra Colors is a specialized uh, supplier of dyes, uh, colorants, uh, for pretty much most of the major industries. Uh, most of our dyes um, are used in, uh, in inks, uh, inkjet uh, inks as well, uh, coatings, food, drugs, cosme uh, cosmetics, household products, detergents, water treatments. So pretty much for those niche markets where uh, our customers are looking for a high-quality uh, uh, color, then we have a, a, a dye for uh, mm -hmm. We focus um, um, our efforts uh, primarily in, in those markets, of course, emerging markets, and where it, it is expected to have a high-quality product uh, uh, to be ultimately uh, used in a, in a major market, uh, perhaps USA or even Europe. And I understand that, that the Spectra Colors really is a Kearney, New Jersey manufacturer, so you were selling domestic U.S. How did you get involved in exporting your products well that's interesting that goes back over 15 years ago when our uh, president uh, had the opportunity uh, through the u.s department of commerce uh, to uh, visit a few trade missions and other uh, activities that uh, he uh, has been part of and is the need of pretty much uh, balance out the possible recessions and outsource uh, 
undeveloped market uh, outside of, of of United States. So it was an opportunity who's definitely uh, helped us to to develop new uh, job opportunities to the company, and definitely not to uh, rely 100% in possible economic situation that we might have in the states. Well, you certainly made a very key point there, and that's something that I'd like our listeners to pick up on, and that is that when uh, business is down in the U.S., it may very well be up in other countries around the world, so that, in fact, you can have a sales channel, and we've heard this from other exporters, that they have a sales channel that literally saved the company because they had revenues coming in because of goods being exported when they weren't selling as well in the U.S. because of a recession. Now, was that a new revenue stream for you, Chris, when uh, the company kicked off exporting? Absolutely. Um, as of today, uh, uh, pretty much our exports uh, significantly affect 20% of our revenue. That's a pretty strong number, that's for sure. Now, you said that the president went on some trade missions, and I know, Ryan, that, that that's part of what the U.S. Department of Commerce does is set up trade missions for manufacturers. Can you explain a little bit about what a trade mission is, Ryan? Certainly, certainly. Um, uh, so, so as part of one of our other services that we offer are, uh, are the trade mission uh, programs that we have here at the Department of Commerce. And what that is is that's when – uh, we'll either have an industry or a regional focus um, uh, for a trade mission, whether it's a cosmetics, a medical, or an energy or infrastructure. Um, and uh, we'll bring a delegation of U.S.-based companies uh, to a foreign market, or foreign markets, I should say. Um, generally, most of them will stop in uh, at least two, possibly three different countries um, with the purpose of, of meeting foreign buyers. Uh, we'll generally uh, welcome, we'll have a welcome reception. Uh, we'll have briefings by the government. Uh, for example, if you're doing something in cosmetics or chemicals, um, we'll, we'll discuss the regulations, uh, some of the standards that you must meet, uh, any of the issues that you could potentially run into, and, and what support is there from, from the U.S. government um, to walk you through those potential um, problem, uh, problem areas. And in addition to that, on those trade missions, We'll, we'll, we'll do some matchmaking, uh, or I guess you could say uh, speed dating for businesses. Okay. And, uh, and we'll go ahead and, and set up uh, maybe three, four, five meetings for you um, with pre-screened, pre-qualified individuals uh, or comp- local companies that want to meet with you. They want to potentially represent you or buy from you directly. Um, and a lot of that will depend on the business model, whether you go through a distributor or an end user. Uh, but, but, you work with us in terms of what profile you are looking for um, uh, in a country, and then we work with uh, our local partners to identify who that appropriate partner would be for you, and we'll make every effort to, to introduce you to those folks on the ground in country while you're there. Uh, Brian, I know that uh, the Department of Trade is also involved in um, helping exporters go to trade shows and trade events. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Um, uh, that's a, we really see uh, uh, trade shows both in the U.S. and overseas as uh, a great networking and business development opportunity for U.S. companies. Um, we have a program known as our International Buyer Program um, where we, for, for U.S.-based trade shows, they become certified with the Department of Commerce and, uh, for example, I was just last week in, at the World of Asphalt show in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, 
and uh, we brought over a group of Vietnamese international buyers that had an interest in meeting with U.S. companies. And so at those trade shows, we'll do everything from uh, do some matchmaking um, by bringing around our international buyers um, to meet with U.S.-based companies, um, to introducing those U.S. companies to our delegation leaders, who are generally our, our, our uh, commercial specialists uh, from a particular market. And so at these trade shows, we use them as a great networking opportunity and business matchmaking tool. Uh, in addition to organizing uh, uh, U.S. pavilions at overseas shows, um, and we'll generally bring a lot of um, uh, international buyer delegations to those as well. I've worked heavily with Auto Mechanic of Frankfurt over the years, and uh, that's one of our, our, our biggest shows internationally, um, as well as the Paris Air Show, uh, where we bring in a lot of international buyers to them, and we make every attempt to introduce our buyers to U.S.-based manufacturers um, within that particular industry. Uh, just to give you an insight, uh, I did do the Paris Air Show on several occasions, and we uh, did go through your department, and they were just terrific folks. Uh, really, it was a turnkey situation, and they helped us all the way. And we were in your pavilion, and we were there in days when the Paris Air Show was 16 days long, which I'm not sure many companies can afford anymore, not because of the Paris Air Show, but because of just living in Paris for two weeks. But uh, we we came home with, there were four of us at the trade show, and we came home with more than 500 active leads that stuck with us, most of them, for a very long time. So it was a very well worth uh, experience for us. And I'll probably be talking to you after the show about next year's show at the Paris Air Show. That sounds great. Katie, I want to come back to you because one of the questions that's resting on every listener's mind right now is, how do I get paid? And while cash on the barrelhead or cash up front would be real nice, that's not real realistic either, how does Livingston International help the exporter get paid well, we really do not get involved with payment uh, terms, but we can help the exporter um, determine what his terms, because there are different terms. There are payment terms, and then there are ENCO terms, which are the assignment of risk. So we can look at what they're trying to accomplish, whether they go through a letter of credit, where there are no relationships there, and, and we want to ensure payment versus delivery of goods. Uh, we can decide whether the risk is low enough that they can uh, go on a net 30-day, net 60. So we will sit down with them and, and determine uh, it, it's usually payment has to do with relationships. Mm-hmm. And when you say INCO, what is that? There are international terms that are used to establish risk within the transaction, such as what does your um, – your, 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 what you're charging, your buyer, what does it include in that um, transaction cost? Does it, is it just the goods? It is, is it the goods and freight or the goods, freight, and insurance? It could even go to include duties and delivery to the client, to the buyer. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, acronyms that are thrown around in the logistics world, and, and they can be very confusing. Uh, I wonder if you could just define a couple of those because there's terms like you know the goods are on the ship, 
The goods are at the rail of the ship. The goods come over the rail of the ship. The goods are on the dock. <laughs> what are all those kinds of terms so we can take some of the confusion out of our listeners' minds? Well, one of the, uh, you know, we can start with X-Works, where the buyer uh, would be purchasing goods that were delivered at the warehouse of the supplier. Okay. Then we would go to um, FOB, freight on board, which means onboard vessel. So anything from the warehouse, the supplier's warehouse, to the terminal and onboard vessel would be included in the pricing. Then we could go to cost and freight, uh, which also now has a term of DAP, delivered at place, and you determine what that place, where that place and name the place. And it could be DDP, delivered, duty paid. And that would include, like I said, delivery charges, throughout the transaction all the way to the door, including the payment of duties. So you could see DAP, DDP on, mm-hmm. uh, on a PO, for, for example. Well, they would be. you would have DAP, and then you would have DDP. A delivered at place could be at the uh, final destination, but did not include uh, duties, and then DDP uh, okay. would include your duties. Okay. And then there's something out there, CIF, right? Cost insurance and freight. Um, and the only way and, and for goods coming into the U.S., mm-hmm. our laws, to be able to reduce, and they're called non-dutable charges, uh, freight and insurance, to be able to reduce that uh, the value of the cargo by those amounts that are covered in your terms, you have to have uh, proof of the payment to the carrier, and sometimes you're not able to get that from the supplier. So you would not be able to support audit with customs and therefore could not reduce that value of cargo um, by that insurance or freight amount because you have to be able to get the actuals. Now there's um, another uh, component out there, and that is, uh, I think, for the exporter, something called, and it may be, um, an exporter from overseas shipping into the U.S., an ISF? The importer security filing. Um, Customs has had a informed compliance until July of 2014. And the requirement, in, and you heard it uh, while Customs was um, negotiating this with the trade or presenting it to the trade, it was called 10 plus 2. Ten data mm-hmm. elements from the trade and two data elements from the um, from the ocean carrier, and it involves only ocean business into the U.S. and it's where we have to file these data elements, and it basically identifies the parties of the supply chain, and it is required to be filed 24 hours prior to vessel loading, not sailing. So as a broker, we would require that data in the office, hopefully 48 hours or more out so we can do a proper filing. The enforcement of ISF came in July 2014, and the importer has three warnings of a late filing or an improper filing, and then customs can penalize you after the three warnings, $5,000 per transaction. So these have some teeth in them. uh, Customs is quite serious. I think uh, importer security filing was placed um, out there because Congress was demanding or or thinking about demanding 100% examinations prior to loading vessels overseas. We knew what that would do to the supply chain, and Customs came up with 10 plus 2, 
which um, if you know about customs uh, and their um, security initiatives, they think the idea of randomness is keeps us uh, more secure than the 100% screenings. Okay, okay. Uh, Chris, thank you, by the way, Kate. I, some of these Some of these things can be very confusing for people, and I just wanted some of our listeners to hear some of the terminology that floats around so that they're not uh, terrified by all the, uh, the three- and four-letter uh, uh, terms that are tossed around in, in uh, Well, you basically logistics. need an encyclopedia from customs every year with the amount of acronyms that they have. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. And, Chris, certainly I hear you chuckling, so you certainly have run across it. Is that true? <laughs> so Chris, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, the, the, the most common, uh, uh, I guess, e- uh, equal terms that we use uh, for our exports, uh, we assist them with the CIF. Uh, will be the, the most common. We we actually uh, assist uh, our customers to to deliver those goods uh, to the port of of destination. That pretty much will be the the most common that we use or export uh, or export. I'm sorry, if they have uh, any local freight forwarder that uh, will consolidate uh, these goods uh, within U.S. Uh, for a future uh, uh, exports. Uh, but for the most part, uh, CIF or exports will be what, what we use. Okay, and and I don't want to scare anybody off. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come back. And I want to talk to you, Chris, about, uh, you know, share with us a few uh, horror stories or war stories that you've uh, experienced. But we're going to go back to a uh, take a quick commercial break here, and we'll be right back with Ryan Hollowell, uh, Katie Carney, and Christopher Almonte right here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today. And see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at SteelForge.com or call... 800-600-9290. 
Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'd like to welcome back our listeners to Manufacturing Talk Radio at mfgtalkradio.com. You can follow us at Twitter at our handle at mfgtalkradio. We're here discussing exporting with Ryan Hollowell, Senior International Trade Specialist with the U.S. Department of Commerce, Katie Carney, who's the Director of International and Customs Compliance with Livingston International, and Christopher Almonte, who's Manager of International Sales for Spectra Colors Corporation. And and, uh, just before the break, Chris, I I posed something to you. I wonder if you could share with our listeners, without trying to terrify them, uh, some of the uh, horror stories that you've uh, experienced in becoming an exporter and living life as an exporter. I think that the biggest challenge um, uh, when when we're doing export is that the local uh, regulation. I know Katie will have plenty of stories in that regards as well, uh, and and happened in a, in one of our exports to to Brazil, where it, it happened to be a very very unique market on uh, on the import uh, duties uh, uh, and taxes and. And uh, it's a bit of a, a corrupted market of, of, of matter of how they handle it of the imports. And it was the cargo was totally stuck in in, in their custom for over two weeks, uh, where uh, the vessel was in fault, the, the customer was in fault, and after two weeks the customer cleared the cargo, but they were actually in uh, in they needed to pay all the storage fees because the material was there for two weeks. So there was no reason, there was no uh, delay. It was just a local strike would make the customer, of course, uh, unable to collect the cargo. Nothing was moving. Sometimes there are local frustrations that not necessarily are going to be any any specific reason of why, but sometimes this makes a, 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 um, an export not as, as easy and as uh, rewarding as we want. Well, you bring up a good point because that's what this country's been experiencing in imports now and exports for, uh, oh gosh, almost six months when the slowdown started in the end of October and the West Coast port situation has made things considerably worse. Uh, Chris, is your corporation Spectracolors an IC disc or do you use an IC disc corporation for tax purposes? Um, actually, I'm not aware of, 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 of that. Ryan, that's your cue. Uh, that is let's, my cue. <laughs> let's talk about IC Disc, which has uh, been around for quite a while. Its predecessor was a disc corporation in 1984, uh, which I was one of way back in them dark days. Um, I'd like if you could to give us an update as to what the, what it's about, and if you recall, we build this program as the U.S. government is going to pay us to do exporting sales. So tell us how we're going to get paid. Sure. So uh, an IC DISC, uh, what it stands for is an interest-charged domestic international sales corporation. And, and essentially it's a federal tax incentive, federal income tax incentive program uh, that is Congress enacted, so it really is not uh, too good to be true. Um, uh, and what it does is it really lowers um, – a manufacturer's exporting tax uh, from what's usually about 39.6% uh, down to about 23.8%. So it saves you almost 15% in uh, your income tax on goods that are manufactured uh, uh, at least 50% here in the U.S. and sold outside of uh, the U.S. and basically exported. 
Um, it can, uh, the one negative of it is that it cannot be claimed uh, retroactively. Um, uh, and there are a lot of great partners uh, that we work with um, at the Department of Commerce that are, are able to walk a company through this um, because it is such a specialized program. Um, I, uh, many accountants know about it, but the intricacies that go into the proper filings um, are certainly there in that it usually takes a, a specialist in order to, to do it properly because, um, uh, as you know, anytime you're dealing with uh, the IRS, you want to make sure all of your uh, ducks are in a row. I understand that uh, the corporation, the DISC corporation in itself, has to be a separate corporation from your main company. Is that uh, still true? Yep, that is still true. Um, and uh, the setup costs with that, after talking to, um, uh, uh, to, to a few of our partners, is about $4,000. As you said, uh, it is a separate corporation uh, that is set up um, outside of the, the uh, parent company. Now, is this a tax deferment, or is it actually a tax discount, for lack of a better term? For lack of a better term, tax discount. Um, so it is, it is just, it is basically lowering um, your tax rate um, for U.S. manufactured goods sold overseas uh, from about about forty percent to uh, about twenty four percent. So if you're doing uh, a couple of million dollars in uh export sales, and let's say you're generating a half a million dollars in uh, uh, gross profits, you take 23% off that half million, and you're, you're walking away with 100000 in your pocket. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So it, it really is a, a phenomenal program that is very underutilized. Um, it does take time, um, just like selling overseas. Uh, um, it takes some forethought and some time to, to do this properly. Um, but, you know, if, if you're able to, to find the right partners to, to basically outsource it for you, um, then there's there, it, it, it certainly is it's a must-do. For the sake of our listeners, uh, where on the Internet uh, can they find this information? So um, information on the IC disk. Uh, we have a lot of information on IC disk and other, other programs. Um, at our main website for the Department of Commerce, export.gov. Um, it includes everything from the taxes to um, uh, tariffs and duties to market research reports down to our trade show and um, trade mission schedules. Uh, so export.gov is, is, is essentially your, your end-all, be-all for, for information uh, from the government to, in terms of what we are doing to help promote U.S. exports. I might add to our listeners that uh, if you're listening to us uh, through our website, mfgtalkradio.com, you'll see that there is a line of copy that states for more export resource information. Click here. You will go right to the information that uh, Ryan was just speaking about. Uh, that's great information, Ryan, and I'm glad to see that the government is uh, willing to pay us to do some exporting. Um, I think they're going to do a lot more pushing out there to get that uh, uh, export number up so we can turn that balance of payment number around uh, to even a more favorable number than it yeah. has been. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. Um, ever since uh, uh, President Obama uh, took office, uh, exporting has been and it still remains uh, 
a major priority back with uh, the, the, the first edition of the National Export Initiative, uh, which was successful, down to uh, the new initiative, NEI, uh, NEI Next. Um, so it's really the next iteration of uh, pushing exports, for it, ranging from our opening up new offices to increasing the size of our, uh, our fields, both domestically and internationally, um, and really just doing everything that we can to get the word out uh, to U.S. companies of the resources that we have out there for them. Ryan, I realize you can't name every partner that you have helping with IC <laughs> Disc, but can you give us a couple of examples of partners that you work with to help set up an IC Disc? Well, there are, and we unfortunately can't give a, a few names, but uh, um, but what we do have actually, I, I believe this is also posted on the website, is uh, members of our um, New Jersey District Export Council. Uh, on there, we have a few great uh, accounting firms that we work with um, that are partners of, of us um, that are part of our District Export Council um, based here in New Jersey uh, that are all appointed by the uh, Secretary of Commerce um, to this uh, uh, four-year uh, appointment. Um, Chris is actually also a member of our District Export Council in terms of what he the, the valuable insights that they lend uh, to help us uh, counsel companies whether it's with the 101 of exporting seminar um, down to helping uh, troubleshoot with logistics. And Chris, just for the moment, if you don't mind, what's your experience with the District Exporting Council? Oh, I'm more involved in uh, pretty much giving uh, uh, all the uh, all those uh, companies that are interested to exports uh, the insights of, of what is that uh, they need to to be uh, concerned uh, as, as a part of in the early stages, who is the right distributor, which will be the way uh, or the right market to that specific uh, product or goods that, uh, that they produce, possible obstacles, where can they identify uh, possible opportunities, uh, and use that into their into the benefits. Okay, and so now you've learned a little bit about an IC disc. I hope that saves you some tax money going forward if you jump into that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's just like a great program. Um, Katie, in terms of uh, uh, Livingston International, I understand you're more on the import side than the export side. For those companies that might want to import for overseas, have you got any tips you can share with them on what Livingston International provides? Well, we provide an array of services that would help you um, get your goods into the country uh, compliantly with U.S. Customs and other government agency requirements. The old customs adage, no before you go, is extremely important. (laughs) You do not want to be buying certain products out of certain countries that might be subject to anti-dumping duties that could take a free item to 261% duties and not know it until the cargo gets here. So we like to coach and consult with people uh, prior to their shipping so we can help them throughout the entire supply chain. Uh, Katie, I I have a question about the anti-dumping. We have heard uh, recently uh, regarding the steel industry, which is my first love, uh, next to my wife, uh, that there are uh, rallies beginning to stir uh, regarding uh, steel imports and to initiate uh, heavier, heavy duties 
on the imports coming in from countries like China. Uh, do you have any information on that? Well, we have not. Um, you know, of course, China has the most dumping cases that are out there against um, manufacturers out of China. Uh, but we have seen uh, anti-dumping cases arise this past year um, for steel out of the India region. Hmm, that's interesting. We did hear recently a, a group of uh, U.S. steel companies, and this is what brought up my question. There's a group of U.S. steel companies who are approaching their uh, lobbyists and uh, local politicians to start rallying and beating the drums about the steel dumping that's going on. Um, and, again, I was just wondering what, what further information you had on that. Is it going to become a serious issue? Well, I think dumping is a serious issue, and we continue to have countries that um, are subsidizing their manufacturers um, and allowing their manufacturers to produce goods and sell them at less than fair market value. It's a huge concern for this country and for uh, the the um, manufacturers in the U.S. that compete with these products. And dumping, the whole dumping um, mechanism is a little off these days. Customs is not able to secure companies by the time the dumping cases are um, negotiated and finalized. We can be 10 to 12 years out, and the company that imported under a lower uh, dumping duties that has now escalated, say, to 60-some percent are currently out of business or has closed doors and opened opened another name. So you have um, the government losing a lot of money to uncollected dumping duties. And is that something that... uh Ryan, you're familiar with from the Department of Commerce that you folks keep an eye on as well when you're talking with uh, potential exporters and probably importers as well? Certainly. And, you know, anti-dumping is always a a major issue uh, by the administration um, and and by the Department of Commerce. Um, We haven't been nearly as involved with it as uh, the folks over at the Import Administration have been uh, in terms of uh, what's coming in and what's going out of this country and uh, really the rates that uh, it's being taxed or, or, or uh, really what's being levied um, uh, by the foreign governments. And so, so it's not something that we, we get involved with too often, um, but it certainly does play a role in, uh, in how it affects U.S. businesses uh, overseas. Chris, let me jump to you for a moment in terms of the strong dollar. Obviously, you've been involved in exporting for some 15 years, and currently the U.S. dollar is very strong against most other international currencies. How is that affecting you? Actually, uh, that's, a, that's a good topic uh, uh, that has been on the table for us for the uh, last couple of months, of course, and uh, primarily for our customers in, uh, on, uh, in Europe, which uh, they're holding uh, uh, to place on orders or to pursue uh, to do any imports uh, from our side until, or with the hope that the dollar versus euro were stabil- stabilized in the near future. So definitely, it has it's been pushing uh, by my current business uh, to later on the year. And on the other hand, any new potential business has been uh, uh, on hold. Like uh, right now, I'd rather explore a, a local supplier because the euro is a bit weaker versus the dollar. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't know how long we'll continue to see that before we see some uh, 
uh, a parody with currencies around the world. I know that we have an upcoming show where we've been fortunate to have some economists on the show who've also talked about this same issue. And as long as the dollar remains strong, we'll uh, continue to have uh, some challenge there. I'm glad to hear that it hasn't affected you as much as I thought it might have. So it sounds like you're doing pretty well in other parts of the world. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's that's uh, good for you, Chris. You guys have obviously set up a great uh, export uh, base of customers, and so you're doing uh, really well with that. Uh, is this a concern for, uh, Ryan, for companies who are looking to get into exporting that, you know, gee, the dollar is so strong, should we wait till later? Or is this really a good time to start the exploration and wait for, uh, you know, when parity starts to come around, then they're ready, they're export ready? Yeah, and, and it, we, we've, during my uh, six-plus years here at Commerce, we've kind of seen it all in terms of a uh, weak dollar uh, coming out of the recession to now a strong dollar. Um, what we recommend, though, is, uh, is don't wait for a weak dollar because uh, when the weak dollar does hit, uh, or if it does hit such as right after the recession, that probably has a negative impact on your U.S. business, and then you're most likely to be scrambling uh, to find additional customers. Um, so for us, it's, it's, we, we, we look at it as an opportunity to help U.S. businesses uh, diversify their customer base and uh, to grow their business, uh, given that you know, 95% of your customer base is going to be outside of the United States, um, just by the pure economic standpoint. Um, and so for us, it's, yes, uh, uh, certainly it does hit uh, your, your profit margins a little bit when the dollar is as strong as it currently is. Um, but there still are the opportunities to grow your business um, uh, with with the, the U.S. government resources uh, in an effort to, to diversify, and that's the key: is really setting yourself up, um, like, like Chris has done um, over at Spectra Colors, uh, to be successful um, no matter what the type of the economic climate is here in the U.S. And you make an interesting point that I think uh, Susan Widmer made on an earlier show. With you. She's also with the U.S. Department of Commerce. And you're, when you said that 95% of the customers potentially are outside the United States, you want to explain that to our listeners a little bit, Ryan? Sure. Um, you know, if, you, if you just look at the, the basic demographics of, uh, uh, of the world uh, on the, based on the population size and the GDP and, and, and where the money is going, um, you know, about 5% of uh, that population size is, is here within the U.S. And so that leaves a whole host of other opportunities. Um, a, a lot of folks uh, uh, are very excited about the opportunities in China. We just ran a, a whole Discover Global Markets in China. Um, where We have one coming up on the Americas. And that, that's a whole conference on doing business in other parts of the world. Um, and, and and so the, the opportunities really are there to, to grow your business outside of the United States. Um, there are customers all over the world that are very eager and excited um, to have U.S. made uh, quality goods um, into their, uh, whether it's going to be into their uh, supply chain or, or uh, as an end product, um, because they know with that stamp uh, from the U.S., it comes with a sense of quality and uh, a reassurance as, to, as opposed to what uh, the competition is on the market. Chris, I know that we had kind of a pre-show discussion with you, and that was one of the questions we asked you. Is your company benefiting from the fact that your products are made in the good old U.S. of A.? Absolutely. Um, we, we still uh, stand strong uh, versus uh, 
competitors, uh, primarily uh, from India and China. And the fact that we have a made-in-U.S. Uh, product uh, offer us that, uh, that opportunity to go into the market at a higher uh, uh, price, uh, where we, of course, deliver a higher quality. And uh, that definitely opened uh, doors for us, where we actually export a lot of our products uh, to China, for example, and where in China, of course, they produce uh, similar products that, that, that we have. So it's a matter of, of uh, expecting a, a good quality and, and, and respecting and, and being interested still in the made in USA material. And Katie, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, uh, the steps to kind of get through from, uh, you know, when, once you manufacture your products and you put it in the box or in the crate, uh, and it's now going uh, off to overseas. It sounds like what you do makes this uh, a whole lot easier than somebody just looking at it from the outside going, oh, this is a mess, I'm not sure I want to get into it. It sounds like you kind of soften the blow with uh, your help that Livingston International provides. Absolutely, and and that's basically what uh, customs brokers and freight forwarders do. We make for a more positive experience for the shipper or the importer by navigating through the different regulatory requirements, whether it is in a foreign country or, or the U.S. Well, it also seems that you can answer a lot of their questions, too. For instance, uh, there was one uh, that Lou posed to when we were chatting earlier about a letter of credit. Do they still use letters of credit these days? They do. Um, I don't see it that often. I think it is more on the export side of things. On the import side, uh, with the clients that I represent, most of them, um, either if they have no relationship, it's a it's a cash up front, or it is a um, a good relationship with an open payment term. Okay. Well, I think we're beginning to uh, uh, come to the end of the hour here, and I want to take a moment just to thank each of our guests. Katie, I really appreciate you being on the show and talking to our listeners from the logistics point of view, if you will. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. And, Chris, we certainly enjoyed your comments. Uh, You're one of the success stories out there, and and we appreciate your comments to kind of help the listeners understand that this is uh, really a potentially great revenue stream for them, and they really ought to take uh, an interest in it. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. And, Ryan, uh, I'd like to thank you also, and I uh, want to give you uh, credit and you and the department. Uh, it's one of my favorite de- – well, it's probably the favorite department I have in our, our U.S. government – the most helpful, courteous, and uh, cordial people that I've dealt with and the experience that I've had over the uh, 20 years that I've been doing business with them. So I want to thank you for that, and all of your coworkers have been just uh, terrific. Uh, that said, um, I just want to make one last comment about the IC Disc Corporation and that I think our listeners, uh, if there's any takeaway that you take from this show, Look into IC Disc. That's D I, sorry, I S dash D I S C. Look it up on uh, the Department of Commerce, or go to our, the link that's on our uh, website, and you can download all the information from there. And uh, it's uh, been great having you all on the show. I uh, wish to thank you. I'd like to remind our listeners to please remember to join us at mfgtalkradio.com next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
we're, it looks like we're going to be talking about uh, aerospace. Lou, is that about right? That's uh, correct. We will be talking about aerospace. And I'd like to mention one other point that for those of you who might not have heard this entire show, uh, in about 90 minutes from now, we will have this show on podcast at mfgtalkradio.com, and you can listen to the entire show uh, there. So thank you, Tim. Pleasure getting together, as always. It's always a pleasure to be on the air with you, Lou. I'd like to remind our listeners that MFG Talk Radio can be heard globally on the Internet. And if you have a question for Lou or for myself, please email us at info at mfgtalkradio.com. You can listen to any of our previous shows uh, free of charge at mfgtalkradio.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is at mfgtalkradio. Or subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. Until then, join us next week for more conversation with Manufacturing Talk Radio, the voice of manufacturing globally. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.